my friends were saying, you know, what are you doing going to a business school? Like you don't want to run a circus. You want to be in a circus. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so I auditioned for the National Circus School and I got accepted. You know, you want to be a writer instead of writing a book, like write a short story because then you get to learn the entire process from the beginning to the end, to putting in front of people, to getting feedback, to, you know, all of the steps that you have to do, you get to do in a condensed form on a condensed timeline with less money. And then if you have something that shows a lot of promise, it's likely other people are going to want to help. I would say one of the strengths of barcode as a team together was that we are always super curious about all these different experiences. Like we would do street shows and we would do corporate events and we would do creations. And then we said, we want to do something new. Let's make our own show. And I think, you know, we got to a, a point where we didn't want to necessarily be the seven fingers or Cirque du Soleil, you know? Welcome to the Theater Art Life podcast. Today, we're talking to Eric Bates. Eric grew up in Fiston, Vermont, and now lives in Montreal, Quebec. Since graduating for the National Circus School of Montreal, he has worked professionally as a contemporary circus performer, specializing in secret box juggling and Russian bar. And he is the co-founder of the Cirque Barcode. Besides making three original creations with Cirque Barcode, He has participated in numerous other creations with companies such as Cirque du Soleil, The Seven Fingers, Cirque Loise, and more. He is the author of the Contemporary Circus Handbook. Hey, welcome to the hey. show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you and talk to some some more circus stuff. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how do you end up Like I understand you, you, you attempted to go to a traditional college at some point and then decided uh, uh, the, the, the circus world was better suited for you. How did that happen? How, what brought you here? Yeah, so I, I learned how to juggle when I was really young. I learned in elementary school. They, a program called Circus Smirkus came in and replaced the gym class for a week. And so I learned how to juggle when I was like, four years old or something. I don't even remember learning or I don't remember not knowing. Um, and I pursued that through all of high school. I did uh, this youth circus called Circus Smirkus, touring around doing like 40 shows around New England in a, in a touring big top tent um, all throughout high school and street performing and, and just doing whatever I could. And so then when I graduated and it was time to go to college, um, you know, I, I was a pretty good student and thought smart kids go to college. Uh, and I got into McGill. I got accepted to McGill up in Montreal um, for business. And part of the reason that I wanted to go up there was because of the circus scene. They had French. A bunch of my friends from Circus Marcus were up there at the National Circus School of Montreal. And so I said, this will be a cool environment. I can ha kind of have the best of all these different worlds. Um, and then I was at McGill for two years, uh, having a really good time. Uh, but the more I hung out there, the more I was going to the shows hanging out at the circus parties and being like, wow, I really vibe with these people and the lifestyle and the sort of conversations they're having. And my friends were saying, you know, what are you doing going to a business school? Like you don't want to run a circus, you want to be in a circus. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so I auditioned for the National Circus School and I got accepted. And that made it really easy to, to leave McGill because I had, you know, um, a, I was going towards something that I was already accepted to. It wasn't such a, a big risk, it felt like at the time. 
and was it like they just like tell people hey i'm gonna go from a normal college to the circus school and like what do i do like what do you study in the circus school <laughs> yeah so circus school like the best analogy i have is circus school is kind of like hogwarts you know like the harry potter school uh, in that you have all of these different classes that everyone has to do you know it's but instead of like herbology and and I don't know, Quidditch or whatever they have there. We have to do like acrobatics, dance, um, acting, uh, strengthening, flexibility, handstands, like the core circus building blocks. And then from there, you have your specialty. So in my case, that was cigar box juggling. That was what I majored in. Uh, and then you have a minor as well, a secondary discipline. And that was for me, Russian bar, um, which was with Tristan Nielsen and Alex Roye. Um, and we eventually went on to found Cirque Barcode together and just toured around the world and, and worked together for nearly 15 years. And I thought I had a cool major saying I majored in visual arts uh, and sculpture <laughs> with a minor in theater production. <laughs> um, but here we are with the weird majors and minors. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's cool. You go to the circus school and it's really wild. Like looking back at it, you kind of take it for granted and, and get used to it. But when you go in there for the first time, there's someone riding a unicycle, like three people swinging from the ceiling, people doing one arm handstands, a whole group of jugglers. It's really pretty cool to walk into that space and just see all this talent amassed in one building. I bet. I bet. So what did make you, what did ENC or what is ENC special? Why, why is it special to you? And why is it special to the world? There are, there's a handful of circus schools in the world only. Sure. Well, there's a, there's quite a few high level circus schools, um, maybe one or two good ones per country though. So you've got, you know, ESAC in, um, in Belgium, you've got Fratellini in France, you've got, um, let's see the Circadium or. Um, the one in Vermont, I don't remember the, the abbreviation in Vermont, but something, something circus school, um, in the U S and I guess what's the three things that make up a circus school are good coaches, uh, good facility, and then the choices they make in terms of programming. And so a lot, I think a lot of these buildings are getting a lot better. They all have trampolines and foam pits and maybe a sprung floor, different ways to rig acrobatics. Um, so once that levels out and you have that in all of these different buildings, it really comes down to how are they teaching, uh, what coaches are they bringing in and what do they prioritize? What, are, what does the school think helps make you a good circus artist or prepares you to have a good career in the circus arts? So whether that's exploring more performing or more technical training or more creation skills, uh, each school is going to have sort of a different emphasis. Um, and then that, that's just personal taste of which one you think is the most interesting to you and your style as an artist. Um, ENC is, I guess, reputed to have very, very good facilities, certainly some of the best in the world, um, and often very, very good coaches, um, because there's such a culture of circus in Montreal. Um, and then I think they, the emphasis is really on creating very strong, uh, solo or duo acts. And it's fairly easy to work in the circus world if you have a strong act, because you can work in a cabaret, you can work on a, a ship, you can work in a contemporary circus show like the Seven Fingers or Cirque Barcode. You can pretty much do anything if you've got a really strong five minutes. Awesome. So from there, and as you said, here's a bit of a melting uh, pot here, meaning Montreal. Uh, 
for circus artists and circus companies. So eventually you made your way through to Cirque du Soleil and Seven Fingers and LOS. And how is that? Oh, fantastic. I mean, in the beginning, you know, this is a long time ago now. I, I finished circus school in 2011 um, and we immediately had a, a contract with the Seven Fingers and it just blows your mind because you're working with these incredibly talented directors who are just opening your eyes again after three years in circus school. You kind of think you know what you're doing and then they really just redefine what it is to take those skills and turn them into an interesting show through their great direction. Um, and then you get to travel around the world performing in what is usually a very good show if you're working with the seven fingers um, and, and go into a lot of European countries, a bit of South America, you know, you're just getting to, to travel around the world performing and on your days off, you get to explore these places and it's a really cool lifestyle, uh, especially in the beginning when you're, it's the first time you've ever been to most of these places. Definitely feels like moving here um, with having all this community around is definitely a, like an added bonus to just not just being at a good school, but having such a, a strong network. Yeah, I'd say the community is, is one of the major things that got me into it. Just these people that are willing to have a different lifestyle and also are very passionate about the things they're doing. Because um, I imagine you have very passionate construction workers and, and or cooks or, you know, whatever it is. There's people that love that stuff. But in the circus, it's it would be very, very difficult if you didn't love it. I mean, it's it's physically painful a lot of the time. Uh, it's a lot of hours of training. It's a lot of uncertainty um, in terms of knowing where the next gig is going to come from. And then it's a lot of really real highs when you're on stage and working collaboratively with new people and, and managing to do amazing things together as a team is, uh, is just such a kick that I think is very different from a lot of other jobs. And how do you go from, from there? Like, I guess that's a little bit what um, eventually made you merge your business side with the performing side and started Strict uh, uh, Barcode. That eventually led you to merge your passion of um, circus with your knowledge of business and start your own company. Yeah. So in the beginning, we, we were calling ourselves Barcode because we were a Russian bar trio. And uh, I guess the default, if people, if you don't have a name, is just to say, you know, the, the Alex Roy trio, like the name of your flyer. And, you know, because of my ego, I wasn't going to have that. I was like, we need a team name that people call us. <laughs> so we started discussing it and barcode sounded cool and it had the word bar in it. And we're like, oh yeah, people will totally get that. That's like Russian bar barcode, which no one does, of course. But eventually you, you keep calling yourself that and people just think, oh, barcode is those people, you know, like any name, like Captain Crunch or whatever. And so we started calling ourselves a barcode circus company before we were a company, uh, just as a way to identify ourselves and say that we did more things than just Russian bar as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did, let's see, we must have done nearly nearly seven, eight years together uh, working for other companies. Um, and eventually, you know, we were, we did shows with the Seven Fingers. We did a, a three-year contract with them doing Sequence 8. Uh, then we did a bunch of gigs around the world, short-term contracts like a summer show or a winter cabaret or a bunch of one-off, like a, you know, a fashion show or a, $70 million wedding in India or just a lot of crazy events, but they started to sort of become the same thing over and over. Like we show up, we make our act to a new music, we perform at this bank's Christmas party, whatever. It, it, very cool. 
but not super fulfilling, not the reason we got into doing circus in the first place, which was at least in my case, because I was inspired from having seen shows. And so we got to the point where we were like still looking for new experiences. And we said, it's time to make a show ourselves. And that's where we founded officially Cirque Barcode as a company. Uh, and we made our first show, Sweat and Ink. And how's that working out now? <laughs> how's that working out? So we, let's see, we did that about five years ago, I want to say. We made Sweat and Ink, and that, and that was like a year and a half process, right? Like you say, oh, we're making a show, and you get a grant, and you start creation, and it, for it, at least in my case, it just blindsided us. It was so much more work than we thought. We were like, we have all the circus acts. We basically have a show. Like, the work is done, right? And then you you do all this, and you find out that there's so much more to the process of getting a show on stage in terms of selling it and booking it and marketing it and booking space and rehearsing and getting funding and then telling these theaters to to book it and you know directing yourselves or having hiring someone to direct you and musical creation and there's just so many more elements that go into a show and a lot of them all of that work gets done before the circus artist even gets into the room it's like a different creative team that has already done all that work and so we really got a new appreciation for how much goes into putting a show on stage. Um, and so we did that for uh, for a few years. Uh, and midway through, there's the pandemic. We made a second show, Branche. And then after that, we made a street show called See You Down the Road. Um, and now we're there. We've stopped playing Sweat and Ink. Branche is still rolling. Uh, and now I'm doing a different street show uh, with my partner, Stephanie Fournier, uh, up in Quebec City right now. So in that process, you said, let me ask some more people how, how they get this done, because I don't fully get it. <laughs> and you started interviewing people for your book, as I would have it. And now a note from our sponsor. The Theatre Art Live podcast is proud to be sponsored by Clearcom. Clearcom is the leader in voice communications for theatre and the performing arts. Call your cues with the simplicity and elegance of Clearcom Intercom Solutions. You can find them at C-L-E-A-R-C-O-M.com. Go check them out. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we were, whatever, a year and a half into Sweat and Ink, maybe a little bit further. And I started to kick around this idea of making another show and making a branche. And I knew, I was like, if we hire other circus artists to come in, it can't be the absolute chaos that it was when we made our first creation. I, I won't bring other people into that if I'm in charge. And so I started examining our process and every other show we did, I was like, how are they doing this? You know, how did they get funding to bring us here? Or what artistic decisions are they making? And what artistic decisions are actually motivated by logistics, by the size of the stage, or, you know, the cost of lights, or, or how you transport the show, or whatever it is. And I started, you know, asking these questions and just getting really curious about how other people make shows, um, so that we could do the best possible process for Branche and just, you know, re-examine how to do that. Um, and in the beginning, it wasn't the idea wasn't to make this book that I'm making. I I just get curious about things. I have a YouTube channel, you know, and I I like putting out information about lessons that I've learned and hopefully help people behind me so that they can have an easier time of it. And uh, you know, as I kept diving deeper, I started interviewing people, and I was like learning so much from all these people I interviewed that was helping my process and and making my creative process better, whether that was for making any of these shows or making a movie. 
And I was like, okay, this is, this is big enough. This is turning into something. And then at that point, uh, I was at uh, Midnight Circus in Chicago and uh, Kim Campbell, uh, who is one of the, the, I think the editor in chief of Circus Talk, um, a circus website, uh, they called me up and they said, hey, I'm in town. You want to grab coffee? We'd met at Cirque du Demain in the past and they'd published some of my articles and stuff. And we started talking, just shooting the breeze, talking about circus. And they said, I don't remember if, if I said I was working on this thing or if they said they were an editor, but I found out that they were an editor. And I said, well, you take a look at what I've been working on for you know about nine months at that point. And they said, sure. And uh, eventually I hired them on as my editor, which is perfect because they're an editor that also knows circus. Um, and we worked together for almost another year. And then they suggested uh, that I talked to a publisher, Tom Wall, who is a publisher who is a juggler and has a circus book publishing company. Um, and that eventually became the, circuit, the Contemporary Circus Handbook, uh, which is the book that is out now that's all about uh, making and producing and organizing and funding and putting your show out into the world. Just like that, in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> like a show a book is just such a big process and and the more i look the more i do the more i realize how collaborative pretty much any big endeavor is whether it's making a movie which i've done a little bit of whether it's writing a book whether it's making shows just as soon as you have these big dreams other people are going to get involved it's too much for one person to do and i think that's what a lot of the lessons in the book are about or just how do you work with a team how do you make decisions how do you delegate how do you decide who does what and, and how to make it feel fair and how to make sure everyone is doing a portion of the work instead of everyone is doing, you know, five times the work as they all try to do all the jobs. So that was clearly one of your biggest lessons in the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that is definitely one of the biggest lessons is, is learning how to collaborate. Um, another one I really like is to make 30 minutes first. If you're making a show, just make 30 minutes um, because this is what everyone says. If you're filming a documentary, you want to learn how to make a movie, make a short movie. You know, you want to be a writer instead of writing a book, like write a short story because then you get to learn the entire process from the beginning to the end, to putting in front of people, to getting feedback, to, you know, all of the steps that you have to do, you get to do in a condensed form on a condensed timeline with less money. And then if you have something that shows a lot of promise, it's likely other people are going to want to help take that and turn it into a big thing, like a full-length movie or a full-length show, which is exactly what uh, lots of the people I interviewed said was their experience. Sounds like uh, so far we've been doing, doing this by trial and error kind of thing. Yeah, mostly, mostly error. Everyone I talked to said they learned the hard way, you know? I, I interviewed 25 people and they said, you know, we lost, we nearly lost a lot of money or a lot of friends or both. And that was exactly my experience creating. And I was like, why does everyone have to learn this the hard way? You know, I'm looking on YouTube how to do this. I'm looking on just all the places, looking for books, looking for any sort of information. And it just wasn't there. Uh, maybe because this, it's not a new art form circus, obviously, but the idea that anyone can, can make this, I think is, I think more people are now going to circus schools, more people are considering this as a career, and, and naturally more people will want to make their own shows eventually. will have that dream and wonder how to do it. And that step, there was just no information. It was like a complete blind spot out there because all the people that are doing it aren't writing books about it. And 
I guess that's just how I think as I like to write stuff down and, and collect information and organize it and, and figure out how to get it to other people. And so I, I hope this book will help people do that, get more shows in the world. I wonder how or if you considered or had a relationship or like some sort of connection to other performing arts uh, forms that are out there that have more of a little bit of more, I don't want to say history, but like, let's say that already have books or already have uh, college degrees about. Um, and you make me think, because I saw that James Tanavi um, reviewed your book and he, he's got some, uh, I think it's musical background. And he sometimes, um, he didn't know. <laughs> uh, no, I just, I knew he did uh, producing and, and he graduated from the National Circus School. So I would have considered him a, a circus person, but. Yeah, no, he, he's got an interview with us and we spoke a little bit of how he, he has some pretty sure it's on Broadway that he has some experiences on the musical world and then on circus and he can like relate some side to the other. But um, yeah, I was wondering if you were, if you had the chance to talk to other people in other performing arts branches that could help us learn from their mistakes as well, or from a process that more or less works for them, see what can we take from them. Sure. I interviewed um, Edgar Zanandeas and Lydia Bouchard, who are both dancers that also work with circus, um, because I thought it'd be interesting to see how they overlap and what similarities and differences they see. And for example, a lot of in dance, there's usually the choreographer. And I guess in theater, that would probably be the director is in a similar role. And the dancers follow what they do. There's not a lot of sort of input into the process unless they say, hey, go, you know, find a, a count of eight or something. Um, it's, it's much more hierarchical than in circus. And I think circus has this beautiful chaos of everyone thinking they are part of the creative process um, and are maybe could learn something from, from dance <laughs> in that they that, that it gets very complicated if everyone is trying to be the director. Um, and I think that can be great, but I think one of the most important things in a creation is you need to know how decisions are made. Um, and that's a good lesson to take away from, from the dance hierarchy. Yeah. It's uh, always like for us as technicians is who are we listening to in the rehearsal room? Cause we can't listen to everyone. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's going to have their opinion. And sometimes it's, uh, yeah, you just want to say, listen, uh, I love that idea, but it's not your show. You know, it's, it's that director over there show. It's her show. Um, and we need to make sure we're following her vision because it's easy to get lost otherwise. But then, you know, I talked to Gypsy Snyder, the co-founder of the seven fingers, and they say, you know, I want to, I want everyone to do what I want, but I also want them to surprise me. And of course, that's a paradox that I think is every director's dream. But how do you get to that? You know, like you have to build a, an environment where people do what you want, but they also, you, you also give them enough freedom to surprise you and, and show the possibility that everyone brings to the table rather than uh, what you would be limited to if it was just you doing it. And that's the, the, beautiful, part of the beautiful part of the collaborative process. I was going to say, I think that's the, like the ultimate uh, team 
work in a creative, like a, a, a teamwork. Yeah, the, it, within the creative arts, what, everything that's done in a team, that would be the ultimate team effort when everyone feels safe so that you know that you can experiment within a box and you know the parameters, you know what everyone's going to kind of do, but you don't know what they're going to come up with kind of thing. Totally. And, yeah, find that perfect safe space where everyone can be themselves and expect, but at the same time create. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think what you touched on there by saying safe space is really important, that people have trust that their director is going to take them somewhere cool. Because if they don't have that trust, that's where you get that sort of, um, you know, anarchy or rebellion or, or people not all rowing in the same direction. Um, and that's not super fun, not a fun feeling in the room. And, and I don't think you can get as far when you have that. And that's a lot about figuring out how are decisions made and resolving conflicts and stuff. So if you were going to talk to yourself, let's say 15 years ago, or when you were starting at the circus school. Uh, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I was talking to some people that were starting a creation with the seven fingers, you know, they were graduating the school and I was like, Oh God, I got to tell them about negotiation. I got to tell them about, uh, you know, how to get a good contract and, you know, per diems maybe aren't taxable and rah, rah, rah. And then I was like, no, that's totally not where they are at yet at all. Like they're just going to go off and, and tour the world for the first time and have a blast and learn so much working with these amazing directors. And that is so much more valuable than, you know, getting an extra five bucks in the beginning, because he, I don't know, in the beginning, you don't have an apartment. You don't have any expenses when you're like 22 or m many people don't. Uh, that's not fair to say for everyone, but it's easy to save money if you're you're smart in this career and you're just constantly on tour and a company is paying for everything, which is often the case in circus that you're lodged, housed, fed, and paid to do the shows. So I guess the the takeaway is to, you know, accept all of these experiences in the beginning um, and say yes to a lot of stuff. Because in the beginning, what you want to build is just a variety of experiences. And then later you can kind of hone in on, on which direction you want to go and build more of a depth in one specific direction. Do you feel like you had a mindset that has changed over time of what your expectations were and what you thought you could do or what you thought you wanted to do and to what the reality is? Yeah, definitely. I would say one of the strengths of barcode as a team together was that we are always super curious about all these different experiences. Like we would do street shows and we would do corporate events and we would do creations. And then we said, we want to do something new. Let's make our own show. And I think, you know, we got to a, a point where we didn't want to necessarily be the seven fingers or Cirque du Soleil. You know, we, we didn't see that in our future. That wasn't, um, having a company like that wasn't as interesting to us as the experience of making a show uh, and multi maybe I guess a couple of shows was. Um, so I would say that that curiosity has always been there, but trying to listen to yourself and, and realize that you evolve as a person. And like, I guess when we started our company too, we were late, late twenties, maybe 27. And we said, Oh, you know, like eventually if we want to have families, we want to have a kid, whatever, it'll be nice to, uh, sorry, none of us are together in barcode. This is like, if we separately want to have families and kids, 
you know, we want to set ourselves up so that we can, if we can't perform anymore, um, cause we're too old or our bodies, or we don't want to travel, whatever. We have a way to still be in this creative world that we love. Um, and then we got to this point, like now I'm 35 and I'm like, oh, this isn't what I expected when I was 27. Like this life that it looks that, that I'm in, I've made it and I'm here and it doesn't look how I predicted. And I think that that's been interesting to, to have to reevaluate what my priorities are now and, um, you know, per, try to set yourself up as best you can for the future, but also be willing to change the plan um, it, as you listen to yourself and, and what your life looks like and how you want it to look. Keep continually reevaluating. Yeah, I guess that applies to absolutely everyone, not only goddess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe it feels like it feels less predictable maybe in the circus because I think there's less of a straight line than, um, I don't know, working your way up the corporate ladder or, or even in, in theater or film, the, the ramp up can take a lot longer. Whereas in circus, and, and maybe I say this cause I was lucky to have done circus from a young age. So I got into ENC, which is hard to get into. And then from there, I got to work with the seven fingers very quickly at a circus school. Um, but you're very quickly working with all of these sort of dream companies, like at the top of the game, doing these huge events. Like, you know, like I said, these $70 million weddings in India, just entrusted to some kids that do flips, you know? And so I guess it, it quickly makes you reevaluate what you want to do because you can get to these accomplishments very quickly. Um, and it's less about just, achieving every single thing, like getting an Oscar or doing Hollywood or whatever, and more about recognizing what's actually interesting to you and, and fulfilling. That's a nice way to put it. And it's true. Yeah. Well, I, from my perspective, it's, uh, it's accurate and accurate description. What would you say it's your favorite thing about your job? What's my favorite thing about my job? I, I would say having I, the the best and worst part, I guess, is the the flexibility and the uncertainty and the space that leaves you to try new things. Um, and then, of course, the the downside is that you never know what's coming next. So it's a balance between lots of amazing projects falling in your lap that you never even heard of or or dreamed of, and then suddenly you're doing this crazy show that's you know opens a whole new world to you. And also the ability to to create a show if you want. Like right now I'm uh, doing a street show with my girlfriend because we have been together for seven years. We met on a Cirque du Soleil show and then we never got to work together in the seven years since. And she's worked for Cirque du Soleil, Cirque du Loise, Seven Fingers, same as me, but just never at the same show at the same time. And so we said, okay, how can we create opportunities for ourselves so that we can have the life that we want at this point? And so we just made a show and and you can just do that in this world. You can just make it up. And if people want to buy it, then that's great. Uh, so yeah, I would say that's, that's currently my favorite thing. That's why I like, uh, today I want to do this. Let's just make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And then of course you just have to put in a ton of work, like even doing a show on the street, you know, we <laughs> practice for like a couple of months to, to get ready. And that's already on top of all the skills we already have. So I guess the other lesson is everything takes 10 times more work and time than you think it will. <laughs> but that's not a it's not the best part of my job at all <laughs> but i'm slowly starting to realize that big projects are are always bigger than i think and and i have to appreciate that and accept all of the 
you, you know, make those challenges into to fun challenges. Because if you look at them like a downside, it's just, you're not going to have a good time in this line of work. All right. On that vibe, what would you change in the industry or your job? I guess, I guess it was a shock for us going from the corporate world of doing events to the world of doing shows because it's not at all the same market. Like we'd done Cirque de Demand twice. We'd done all these just enormous events. We performed at G7. Like we'd done all these things. And then we say, hey, we have a new show. We're super well known and no theaters knew us except the ones that had seen us with the seven fingers already. And they're just completely different markets. And so trying to break into that and realizing, you know, all the, the politics of having to talk to all these theaters and convince them and blah, 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 I find that kind of tedious. <laughs> so I don't know how I would change it though, because that's, you know, it's a hard model to, to make them art that you want to make, but also pay the bills. It, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of money. And then it can't all be necessarily put on the theater goers to foot that bill. Um, it would just be outrageously inaccessible. So I don't have a solution here, but I do think the future of circus and the, and performing in general is going to have to try to tackle that problem and figure out how to make art more accessible, but also, uh, you know, still, still pay the artists. Sounds like a thousand year problem. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm sure you could somehow get someone that can do all the funding part, marketing part, and all that part that you don't enjoy as much and make sure he pays his salary and yours. Perhaps. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think you just got to build that team. Whereas uh, as individual circus artists, you are usually a one-man band. Um, it's less common, in my experience, to have agents than in maybe the dance or the film world. Um, and so coming into a bigger thing like a theater show, uh, knowing how to build that team and how to have people that believe in your project, but that aren't you, but that are doing that part of the work, I think is really important. Sounds like a very complex situation at the end. Like you've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. it's, it's totally complex, but then you get to, you know, make the thing that you want to make. If you're tired of, you know, using your body and your skills to fulfill other people's dreams and you want to do your own dream, like it, what is it? Freedom is the acceptance of responsibility. You know, yeah. like you, you gotta, you, it will come with work, but that's the, the trade-off. So tell us where can we see your shows? Where can we buy your book? Um, how, how do we know yeah. more about your stuff that you're going on doing? You know? Yes. So we are a barcode circus company, circ underscore barcode underscore circus on Instagram. Um, and then my book is available at modernvaudevillepress.com slash contemporary, the contemporary circus handbook. Um, so that's a, a great way to get it. I know people ask and there will be an ebook out probably by the end of the summer um, for those of the people that want that. And then if people are interested in, especially circus schools and the circus life in general, um, I very sporadically also make YouTube videos. Um, just to try to let people know what this life looks like. So you can find me, Eric Bates, Eric Bates all over the place. Just, <laughs> yeah, just ericbates.com, barcodecircuscompany.com. You know, it's all, all the stuff out there. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for sharing all these adventures with us today and our audience. 
And I hope yeah, you thanks for having me on. Read your book and see your place or your circus shows. Yeah, great.